Hi, everybody. This is Drew, and this is the Owl Once Was Lost podcast. Just here to give you guys a quick update on what's going on with Jeffrey Vance and the information uh, needed in order to get the case reopened, how that's working, and to come back from that that break, um, which I'll explain to everybody why it was so important. So last time uh, you guys heard an episode was from before the holidays, and really our biggest reason uh, at that time to take a break was for exactly that. It was the holidays. A very difficult time for the family, as I'm sure everyone could imagine, and we felt it best to kind of, you know, let it let it rest for a while and let them uh, enjoy the holidays and memories of Jeffrey and holidays past, so on and so forth, which they were able to do. And that's why we'd also asked online through the Facebook page, just uh, to kind of keep questions and information um, to a minimum. Uh, And I've even closed down uh, the group uh, itself, and I'll explain why. So. Everybody that's been following along, and if you haven't yet, um, there's only a few episodes before this that you can go back and listen to and and understand exactly what it is that we're looking at, why we're even doing this podcast. Because I want to remind everybody that we're a missing persons podcast slash phone application. And I want to remind everybody again that it's the only phone app of its kind that works in real time to help locate missing persons, whether it's a child that's lost, uh, abducted, which would be, you know, the worst case scenario, an adult, maybe with dementia, Alzheimer's, uh, live here in Florida from time to time. And those alerts come up quite often, uh, much more often than you could ever imagine. And you know, it's very nice that we do have Amber Alerts, and we'll get them, obviously, while we're in our car, um, across the highway, on big billboards, and our televisions. The only problem is that it takes time for them to put that together, and it only gives very limited information, uh, very limited information on the person that's, and it's usually, obviously, it's children if it's an amber alert and silver alerts are for the elderly. It'll give a, a de- description, but it's very vague and then usually a license plate number. So all you can really do is look out for a car that may be on the highway. And of course, you would need to be directly behind them unless you can memorize that plate number or have somebody write it down. So you can see that the the problems there, even though, again, it's what we have right now and, you know, it's better than nothing. However, once people realize that this owl 
once was lost phone app for iOS devices and Android that eventually it's going to hit a peak and it'll explode because there's a need for this. You know, anytime you can find that need, and obviously the need is that the statistics on missing persons are through the roof in this country, and we have to have something better in place. And for right now, this is the best thing available. And the more people that we have that go and download the app and just set it, forget it, God forbid your own child goes missing, you can upload them immediately and it goes out to everybody else. And if they're in your area, then they can be searching. So that's where the volume of people comes into play. So we really need that word of mouth, um, you know, mentioning of what we do and and why whoever it is that you're speaking to, what why they need to download it. It's for and it's for everybody. There really is no demographic here. If you have kids or you have friends that have kids, everybody knows somebody that has kids. Um, that this can crop up. You, you just never know. It's impossible to really uh, prepare for for something like that. And usually, you know, they're found right away and everything's great. But on that occasion, when they're not and things start to get scary and a half an hour goes by and then a little more time because that the worst statistic ever that really, really got me into this was in hearing that only 6% of children that are abducted are actually found alive if they're not found in the first hour. And that's just unacceptable. Um, but unfortunately, uh, you know, I, I can understand why that is. Um, If they've been given at least an hour to get away, you can travel a very, very long distance. You can be just about anywhere. And that person's motives are obviously not good. Um, Be hard pressed to find one where the motives were actually good. But that's, uh, you know, up for the the, uh, police and detectives and people that are in charge of the missing person's case, or uh, even if it's not uploaded yet as a missing person's, again, that's where we come into play because we're in real time, what we're doing. Um, The family can be uploading very detailed information. Then we can be contacting them as a podcast and discussing with them uh, within that first hour um, before it's even done, specific, even more detailed information where they were last seen, what direction maybe they were going, where they might be. And that's going to help people in that area to keep that eye out. And it'll even show you on the map who in that area has the app on. It's got like a red circle around them, even though it is very, very private. We respect everybody's privacy. It's very important. But it naturally allows you to almost form a grid without even thinking about it because you can see that maybe somebody's in a specific area and they're looking, so you could be looking in another area. So that works very good. So everybody did a wonderful job. We had quite a few uh, additional app downloads since we started this very, very first series uh, on Jeffrey as well as subscribe to the podcast. And again, I apologize. There's been so much time in between, but it just needed to happen. It needed to give the family a break. There's definitely a lot of stress going on there. That's, you know, that's all I'm going to say. 
But, you know, <laughs> of course there would be. Uh, and plus, they're also working very, very hard. They're working very diligently on getting the case reopened. We all know that. Uh, they, you know, have information that they're working on themselves that is extremely promising that I can't really get into. And so, again, that's why I wanted to come on and explain to people where we were at, you know, that really all we can do is, you know, provide you the provide you the information as it's given to us through law enforcement and through the documentation that's there, through the eyewitnesses, direct eyewitnesses too, not hearsay, um, you know, during episode uh, uh, two when we had the two uh, young women on who encountered Anthony Fenimore. Um, so to remind everybody, Anthony was with Jeffrey Vance. They were out together for a couple of days before uh, the February 2nd, 3rd weekend of the, of the 2nd and the 3rd and went up a logging road, which did have a lock on it, had a forestry lock. They cut it, went up this road, which dead ends and somehow got stuck. They claimed, or Anthony claimed that the gas tank got a puncture in it. And so they were stuck there and decided to huff it out on foot. So again, to remind everybody, you know, if you go back and you listen to the other episodes, there's no speculation going on there. Very, very little. And if there is any speculation, it, it's only based off of factual information provided by law enforcement or which was, you know, discussed during the episode with the young ladies who had firsthand knowledge of what was going on and had discussions uh, back and forth with Anthony Fenimore, and they brought him to the store in uh, Glide, the Glide store, where he could make the call into law enforcement. But as we all know, what started this, and we wouldn't even have done it if there wasn't uh, quite a bit of what we would call suspicious activity and not based off of OWL and Once Was Lost podcast. This was based off of news reports, blogs. There is so much information out there about this case and every person to a T that made comments on this case said that it was extremely suspicious. Now, what does that mean? We don't know. And we're not going to claim to know. We can only bring up different situations, uh, how something possibly may have happened. You know, the case, again, being closed, uh, they did not find any foul play. The uh, cause of death was from exposure or from hypothermia, which is also what they said Anthony was suffering from once he was found and eventually seen by EMTs. But again, going uh, through the information that the detectives had all put together, there was quite a bit of that, and we did an entire episode uh, on that and read it word for word. So none of that was... Uh, information from us or again, speculation or us filling in the blanks. This is word for word exactly what the detective said. And to start off, there was a, a couple of officers who claimed again that this was highly suspicious. Now, what we don't have are any of the interviews 
that they did uh, with Anthony or the other two gentlemen, John, Durda, and Jesse, uh, who are friends with Anthony and uh, Jeffrey, supposedly, who had found the truck out on that road. So that's what I want to hit on, just to remind everybody, because we really can't go any further. We've got to wait for the family to do what they need to do, put together the information that they need to put together to make their own case and see if they can get this uh, reopened and at least looked at again from a different perspective because of all of these things. Um, and it's really funny. I, I'll even tell you guys, I wasn't going to say it, but because it, it, it's really just ridiculous. I, I got some type of uh, email um, of someone trying to be, uh, let's just say malicious. And, you know, every other word was some juvenile cuss word and, that we didn't know what you we were talking about and this and that. And again, <laughs> it's not what we're talking about. We're reading and providing the information directly from law enforcement. So these people obviously don't get online very often uh, or they don't understand how that works. Um, and especially with the email, I, it only took me 15 minutes to you know, find out who it was. I'm not going to say who it was because it's unnecessary. It's just... Um, it just, it just adds, actually, to the suspicion. If the case is closed, you know, none of this should matter then to anybody. And, you know, if they've got nothing to hide, then, you know, why send uh, an email like that? Why, why, would you, why would you care? Now, I also want to make sure that everybody understands that we invited each person to come on and have me interview them objectively and just go through the story and get their side of what happened, especially Anthony, because Anthony's is the one that sticks out the most, like it's sore red thumb. And again, there's so much, again, what's called suspicious activity. And if you just look at it on the surface, it's the only way that, I mean, you, you really can't go in any other direction, but he may have had additional information that wasn't in the reports or wasn't brought up. And that would have been really nice to have, uh, but they denied it. You know, if it's an ongoing case, that's different. You know, you wouldn't expect somebody to come on. Their lawyer probably wouldn't allow them to, but some people do. But again, a closed case, uh, John and Jesse, who are just kind of out on the periphery, but different, you know, they're the ones that found the truck, you know, it would have been nice to speak to them on just, you know, how they were able to do that. And what the truck looked like with some more detail that we don't have in the reports. And again, just from a very objective standpoint, no finger pointing on anybody. That, that was the plan. Uh, but not a single person took us up on that. Starting with Haley, the ex-wife who was invited, of course, to be on the very first episode, which was a celebration of Jeffrey's life. And we all find that very difficult to to handle um, why she wouldn't want to come on. I mean, there there is a rift between the family and Haley. That is what it is. Uh, I'm not going to pretend to know why or what. It just, it is what it is. Uh, that's between them. But you put that aside when your loved one, if your husband or your wife were to pass away in this, this manner, Jeffrey wasn't found for two months. Um, 
And again, under these circumstances, you would have think she would jumped. Uh, and she did say she was going to come on, but we went back and forth like five times until I just, I couldn't do it. I just, I don't have that much time. Um, got a hold, I won't say of who, but of one of the three gentlemen uh, between Jesse and John and, and Anthony. And they said that they would come on and they were going to talk to at least uh, one, if not both of the other two gentlemen. And then I never heard back. And again, I don't, I don't understand. Um, so, and I, and again, I think part of this might be the internet information that they have there. This is a you know very small town. I don't know what their reception is like. Obviously, they were on Facebook and Snapchat and all of these other different things. So they have access. They should be able to read articles and see the information that's out there and what thousands upon thousands of people are stating. Um, you know, once you insert yourself into a... Um, um, case like this, then it becomes public information and public knowledge and anybody should understand that. So you're opening yourself up to questions and um, suspicion maybe, but I don't even want to, I don't like going there. It's really just, just more questions and then trying to get answers to those questions that can satisfy people's, um, you know, concerns or, or worries. Um Again, once a case is closed or if it's open and it goes to law enforcement, it's public. It becomes a public concern. Not to mention, I don't know if people are aware, but Douglas County, where this occurred, has its own missing persons Facebook page. I I haven't seen, I've seen it before, but very, very rarely does a county have its own page specifically for missing persons in a place like Oregon, in a place with such small population density, the size of Roseburg, uh, the amount of people that live there, Mount Angel, the surrounding areas. And I found at least four other cases in 2019, the same year, I didn't happen to see on the Facebook page. They may be there, but which incurred missing persons, um, people just for no reason that they can find driving straight off a road down through the woods in an embankment right into the Umpqua River. And if you guys all remember, the Umpqua River flows right through there, right right around where all of this is occurring with, with Jeffrey uh, and Anthony. So we're going to make this quick. Um, and then hopefully, you know, we're, we're going to get into a few other things. I have somebody else that I'm working with on the application um, with a person that's been missing for quite a while that we uh, are probably going to do an interview with that uh, it's not an emergency per se. So we'll, uh, we'll explain it once we get there. So we're going to go there. And then of course, we're going to be working on different cold cases in between um, missing persons reports that, you know, will come in obviously over time, they're, they're going to come in at some point or another and we'll be right on top of that uh, to be able to provide that real-time uh, information and also resources that nobody else can do. They just, they're not equipped to be able to do this right now, how quickly we can, and to help law enforcement and the families. So 
the things that people need to pay attention to on this case, one is that Jeffrey and Anthony apparently had been driving around for a couple of days with no sleep. And and we've we've touched on drugs a little bit and drug use and the culture around there. And again, this is all public information. Uh, it's all there in the reports. Everybody admits, everybody knows that there's, there's use. And even uh, Jeffrey's mother, Angel, will tell you, Jeffrey wasn't an angel, <laughs> though he was a very good guy, but he dabbled in drugs like a lot of young people do. So that, you know, comes into play here, but to what degree, we don't know. Um, But what I'd like to know is why they decided to pull off the main roads, drive up into this mountainous area, cut a forestry gate open, close it, put their own lock on it, Again, driving up into unless they were going to stop to use drugs. And again, I'm only trying to put some objective thought of this. What would be the reason? There's or okay, let's just say just to sit and talk. How about that? Okay, leave drugs out of it or anything else because you can't go anywhere. It's a dead end. Uh, but again, they apparently got stuck and punctured the gas tank. So let's just go with that. So if this occurred, your next move even if you're not a wilderness survivalist, is going to be to walk back to the main road. They were only about a mile, mile and a half up from the gate and back where the main roads were to find to get civilization or you could have found a car coming up or back the other way, whatever. But they decided to walk completely in the opposite direction into the woods, in into the snow. The weather was starting to get worse. Um, there was some initial confusion over... The day, first it was Friday, then it was Saturday, but we think now that this actually occurred Sunday, um, Saturday night or Sunday morning, something like that, because Anthony was really only out for one night and he became, and this is the most important part of the entire story, separated from Jeffrey. He says he has no idea when, but sometime that night or that morning. Um, and again, that's the one thing that everybody can't get over that it would be very difficult to have gotten hyperthermia that quickly. It would take some time, though I'm sure the cold was affecting them just like anybody else. Um, but it's just very, very difficult for people to accept that you could get separated from who's considered to be your best friend that you would have huddled up close next to each other. Again, you don't need to be a wilderness survivalist to know to do that. Most people understand that you want to try to stay together and close together to keep warmth. Um, and also to walk back out towards civilization. But again, we got to scratch that. So they're going in the opposite direction. Also the dismantling of the truck, tailgate why i mean we can speculate on a lot of different reasons why but the reason anthony provides is to take the tools that they apparently used for work that we haven't really determined whose tools they are who they belong to whether they're all anthony's or they were jeffrey's or both 
it's not really that important. But the reason um, that they didn't want to have the the tools stolen. First off, who's going to be driving up there? One, two, they put a lock on the gate, right? No one's going to be driving up there either. That's one of the most horrible, strangest excuses I can think of would be to take the time, number one, to get that tailgate off. You're wasting all of this time and daylight and everything else just to put tools on to drag it like a sled because you're afraid someone's going to steal them. But after a very short distance, you start to see tools just dropped off, off the sled because it was heavy. So I kept taking another one and dropping it off and dropping it off, almost like breadcrumbs, just moving along. Again, you know, these are the kinds of things that we wanted to talk with Anthony about and just ask why, um, objectively, not pointing any fingers, none of that really mattered at the time. It was just a matter of, you know, look, it's a closed case. Can you please answer that or help us to understand it? Because nobody else can. And he may have had a, a very specific, reasonable, you know, excuse for doing this. But we'll never know. So anyway, so we've got that trail uh, then they tried to light the fire. It was too cold. Uh, Jeffrey had to do it. I think Anthony said his hands were too cold. They were trying to scale up um, the side of a ravine. It was very difficult. I'm sure it would have been. Uh, you know, if you're cold, I understand that. Um, long story short, they get separated again. And that's what I wanted to talk to Anthony about, what he can remember and how that's even possible. What would have happened? Did he, you know, I mean, you're only out there for a few hours in that one day. Um, can't see anybody passing out. They were also wearing full clothing. We know Anthony was wearing a jacket because we have a firsthand witness account of him wearing that jacket. And that's a whole other issue. So he was wearing clothing for the weather. Now, if this was days on upon days upon days, and the weather is getting worse, you're, you're going to get hypothermia at some point. I get that. I think anybody understands that. But this is just one night, and then he appears down by the hot springs that we've mentioned to everybody. And kind of go, if you want to go back and listen to the other episodes, we tell you kind of exactly where that is. You can find it easily on a map. You can look at the whole area, you can find the uh, NF252 road that the truck was stuck on, apparently, um, and then go from there and see how strange it is, the direction they went in, and then uh, how far they needed to walk. It was only a couple of miles at most, even just to get to the hot springs. And on the way down there, Anthony even stopped at two locations and spoke to people and didn't mention one time about Jeffrey. So again, that would be the question we wanted to ask. And there might've been a good reason. Maybe he just didn't feel at that point that Jeffrey would be in any danger. Jeffrey would be fine. He's just maybe right behind him somewhere. Um, and again, because things are so close because of all the locations that maybe he didn't have any fear that Jeffrey would have any problem in being able maybe to follow his footsteps in the snow that had started to fall. See, a lot of different things like this that I can even think of. Um, 
that again, it's really a huge shame that none of these people would accept the invitation just to come on and and discuss this uh, again, just objectively. Anyway, so he spoke to two people, didn't mention, he wanted to know where the forestry station was, which he never actually went to, uh, ended up down near the path that leads out to the springs from the parking lot um, there in the park. And that's where he witnessed a few other people, including uh, the, the two women that eventually picked him up. Now here again is where we would need to have firsthand explanation because it doesn't fit. This doesn't work right. It just doesn't. And I don't care. And I'll just say one little line in that in that email because most of it was just again juvenile cussing and acting like a complete idiot. Um, you know, but saying that we don't really know what's going on, what really happened. Then tell us. That's okay. Just tell us. We would have been very open to that. Would have done a very objective job. Um, I think they're even very immature. You know, I don't even think they even understood that last episode about, you know, the forest fairy. I think they took the term fairy as some derogatory statement where if you even look at the spelling, I mean, even the spelling is of the old English version. It just means a, a forest sprite or something or somebody that's in the woods because that's what Anthony was doing. Anthony was out in the woods. They had seen him on the trail asked him, I don't know, they didn't ask him if he was okay. They just kind of said hello. He says hello, and they kept going. The girls ended up at the springs. Somebody brought up Anthony, asked the girls if they saw him. They said yes. They mentioned that he looked a little weird, kind of strange, didn't really say anything. So they they felt it was off as well. So again, guys, this isn't the podcast. It's not the family. It's nobody. These are strangers and people with objective points of view and uh, you know their own relativistic uh, viewpoints of what happened at the time coming directly from their lips of what they saw, not from us. So it is what it is. Um, when Anthony was finally seen for the last time and given the ride was hours later, so after he was seen on that trail, I have no idea why he wouldn't have just asked, hey, I need some help. Can, can you give me a ride down to the store or to the ranger station or whatever? Anybody would have done that or maybe not, but we'll never know because they're not going to tell us. Um, but when you don't ask for help and then you go back into the woods surrounding the parking lot area, are around in there were seen also wearing a coat, winter coat, okay? Hours later, seen again on the same trail with no coat. Where did the coat go? I think, again, anybody in the right mind would find that to be strange, minimally, suspicious, probably. What's going on? And then he finally asked for the ride, they get him in the car. You can listen to the whole interview. It's very detailed. They do a very good job. Um, without them, a lot of this wouldn't have been able to be filled in. And again, firsthand, this is not secondhand information. It's firsthand. They uh, had discussions with Anthony, which were very strange. Um, 
him even calling Jeffrey an idiot. And um, I don't know, I just, again, the very last things you would have said about your friend that is still lost up in the woods, or even if he didn't think he was lost, he's still up there and it's been quite a, quite a while. Um, I don't see how he couldn't think that he was lost or that there was something wrong going on at that time. And the first order of business would be to finding help. And that's the major key here, everybody. That's why we're all upset. That's why everybody is concerned. That's why anybody looking at this, when you go and look at their comments, say that it's very suspicious to say the least, uh, even though, again, they did close the case. And I just don't understand why. Even those parts that I mentioned that they were dropping off, once Jesse and John, the two friends of Anthony and Jeffrey, were out looking, happened to find the car. I don't know how they were able to do that so easily. But again, I'm not going to question that. That's not the end of the world. They might have just taken a good guess because they know the area these guys maybe drive around in. Okay, I can accept that. So... They find the the truck, but then they start walking. Once the detectives get out there, um, they were already disturbing the scene by looking in the truck, moving things around. I think they looked under a tarp to make sure Jeffrey wasn't there. And I understand, you know, who knows? A lot of people might have done that. You're not thinking about disturbing the scene. You're you're, they really are concerned about Jeffrey, and they're looking to see if he's there. Again, I get it. So, but the, but the thing that I don't, that I'm getting at is once they started to walk with Anthony and then along with John and Jesse, all of them in the direction they traveled and Anthony showed them. And then the parts, uh, they all picked them up and were carrying them. This is all evidence. Everybody knows this. So again, you know, for this person and the people out there in this area that are directly involved with the case or inserted them, you got to accept this stuff. It is what it is. Okay. It's not, it's not just going to go away on its own. And it has absolutely nothing to do with the once was lost podcast. This was our first case. We just partnered up with Nick Conway because of the nature of his app and the nature of what we were doing, you know, it saved us from having to develop our own app. It was perfect. It was a perfect marriage. So that's why we got together. And the first person that we saw was Jeffrey, even though he had already been missing and happened to be found. We looked at the case, talked with the family. And once we saw all of the discrepancies, all of the strangeness, all of the high strangeness, just absolute wacko opposite what anybody would consider to be normal activity um, was done. And then after researching as well, we didn't just jump on it. We researched it, looked at all the articles, looked at web sleuths and a lot of other big time blogs that deal with these cases. And it was already there. It was already there, and it was there for the same reasons that we decided to bring the story to everybody because it had so much intrigue and the chances of this getting reopened with just, I feel, with the information that's already 
there, if brought to a higher court in disturbing the scene, they didn't even know if it was a crime yet because they hadn't even found Jeffrey. But again, they did find him. Two months later, he was down at the bottom of a ravine, laid out on his back, splayed out with his arms out, and which is with a very strange position. But again, I'm not going to speculate. I'm not a doctor or I'm not even going to get into that area. Uh, but they didn't find, again, any specific foul play. You know, I mean, a, a gunshot, stabbings, uh, major strangulation, you know, just anything gruesome, anything like that. They didn't find it. So, again, uh, very strange why we couldn't get these interviews because it really would have gone a long way. I even explained it in detail to them why it would be a very good idea to come on, do the interview, get it out of the way. Um, you know, I wasn't there to point fingers. I explained all that, but we did have questions. And then they could explain it right directly from the horse's mouth, so to speak, um, coming from their perspective. And it might have cleared up quite a few things because a lot of podcasts are going to be doing this story. There's <laughs> thousands of true crime podcasts. Even though I don't like to put us into that category, what I call this is immersive podcasting because we have the relationship with the phone app and then also directly with people that would be out there searching, looking, listening. So we have that relationship with the audience. It's a little bit different than how a normal podcast would operate. So Anyway, so back. So we've got that problem um, of Anthony. Go back and listen to that episode and listen to what the girls had to say. The condition he was in, he wasn't wet, even though it had been snowing. He said he woke up laying on his stomach, but yet he was dry. Doesn't make any sense. But again, there might have been a reason for this. We could have found that out. It's unfortunate really is because all that's going to happen is more and more people are going to speculate. It's going to get more and more out of control. And until the family gets all of their information together, submits what they need to do and things are really brought under control as far as any additional speculation or what may have gone on or what didn't go on, whatever. Um, once they're able to do a deeper dive, into this, the detectives, I think a lot of things are going to be answered uh, that are going to come to light and uh, make sense and finally kind of make sense of some of these things. Um, hopefully why Anthony never said a word to anybody about Jeffrey being missing, why he was still dry, what did he do with that jacket, why didn't he accept really any food or water, why did he want beer? and corn nuts and that's usually not the first thing at all you would be craving unless you're possibly coming down from being high for methamphetamines and again i hate to go into that area but it's public info and it's a possibility uh, and the girls brought it up on their own without any poking or prodding at all that that's kind of how they took the situation that they are familiar with people that are under the influence of those specific drugs and how they act, uh, especially when they're coming down from those drugs. And we speculated on, well, maybe that's why he stayed out 
in the woods for a few additional hours in order to calm down. But, you know, we don't know. We have no idea. But that's, you know, not a, not a bad, not a bad piece of uh, speculation there uh, unless we hear anything different. So then he called his girlfriend to let her know about what was going on before calling police. And again, you know, people do things for different reasons. People can be in shock. And that's where these, these guys don't understand actually how objective I am. You know, once I go into something like this, everybody's got a different story. Everybody's got a different take. Um, and that's really what we, what we wanted um, in order to, you know, put context to what's going on because the way that it's written out by the detectives word for word and in the stories and, you know, as far as the news is concerned and the eyewitnesses, it's exactly as we reported it word for word, exactly as you heard it. And each one of those nodes, each one of those talking points that we bring up are what would be considered to be suspicious or out of place or very strange. There's nobody that can say anything different unless they decided to come on and say something different. So anyways, that's where we're at. Um, so we're going to kind of just let that rest, let the family do what they need to do. And you guys just got to trust me that they know what they're doing. They've got a really good grasp on this. They've got all kinds of additional information, you know, that people have no idea about that, uh, again, I'll just say just raises more questions than, than answers. It's just a very, very strange case here. Very strange. Um, and that's why, like I said, I found that whole area, as far as its density and population and the amount of people that go missing, especially that drive off. There was two cases just last year of driving off the road and into the Umpqua River and the people being found in the car still strapped in in the river. It just doesn't make any sense. It's really weird. Um, but, you know, statistically, these things do happen. So... Um, we can't say that those are suspicious. It's just strange. And another reason why we report on this, another reason why it's important for us to report on this story is because people that live in that area deserve to know what's going on, to hear what law enforcement had to say about this, what the family has to say about this. And then again, I reached out to every other person involved and offered them a shot just to come on and explain and talk about this uh, with me, just with me. And not a single one of them took took that up. There's got to be a reason for that. I don't know what it is. I'm not going to speculate at this point. It doesn't really matter at the moment. All that matters is what the family's doing now and how the state will look at this information when it's ready to be uh, presented. So I also want to let everybody know that uh, Pull Up A Pew, P-E-W, Pull Up A Pew podcast, we're going to get moving on that again. That's the other podcast where we do all kinds of very cool stuff. We get really, really good interviews from people from all different um, 
areas, but in things that I enjoy, like theoretical physics, uh, dealing with existential threats. I interviewed Dr. Peter Pry, who is on the presidential uh, team when it comes to um, um, protecting us and the grid, power grid from EMPs or electromagnetic pulses, either um, by person, meaning nuclear, which would be horrible, obviously, or naturally, which is the one that concerns us most because we are way past due from a coronal mass ejection. And basically what that would do is shut everything down that's electronic, folks. Everything that you have that is electronic would stop working. That means no water because you can't pump it. Pumps work off electricity. You're stuck basically with what you've got that day that it happens and that's it. So by the end of the first year, 90% of the population in the country would be gone. That's another horrible statistic, but it's factual. They have run the numbers over and over and over again. And I think they're even being conservative there. And the replacement parts that we would need for these massive transformers and for these um, different points across the country um, where the power flows in and then it's uh, you know separated out and sent out to the uh, each smaller area, these junctions, if you want to call them that, are made in China. People already know my thoughts and concerns <laughs> about that. And I laugh only because of how absurd that is that we would allow China to make those parts f- that are so crucial to our entire power grid with China being the adversary that they are is beyond me. And all you got to do is look to the past. That's all I'm going to say. And deals and things done through our government that just sold us down the river. So anyways, the good news is that they are working on this. There's also individual townships, cities, counties that are putting together their own kind of like teams and hardening their grid themselves and making themselves self-sufficient. This is the real thing. This is happening all over. Because people know this real threat. This is really the only thing that you could do, uh, especially if you're not in a rural area. If you're anywhere in the city, just kiss your ass goodbye. Um, Unless you can get out quick enough somehow, have gas because you can't pump gas. You need electricity to do that. I, I don't mean to scare anybody. I'm just telling you the way that it is. And it's a real concern. It's uh, probably the number one on the list of existential threats we have right now. It's definitely behind any, you know, global warming or anything else, any of those. And people don't talk about it. I think they don't talk about it because it's so serious and because of how quickly it would go downhill in a situation like that. Just use your imagination and think of what would happen to people once they become hungry after they've gone through their food in the refrigerator within a week, things would be, (laughs) you know, back to the stone age. So anyways, but that was a really, really good interview. I would highly suggest you go back and listen to that interview. There's a lot of incredible information in there about it, um, what it is, how we can prevent it, what you can do yourself. 
Um, also did an interview with Anthony Peak. Love Anthony. Um, got to know him really, really well. Uh, he was my first interview, and he's very popular. He's worked on his 11th book this past year. I'm going to try to get him back on. He works on consciousness studies and how the mind works. And we also get into other areas that people already know that I talk about, you know, concerning um, hallucinogens and how they need to be decriminalized, which they are starting to be, and specific ones which can be used in therapy and especially to get people off of drugs. Psilocybin, specifically for alcoholism, uh, heroin uh, addiction, many things. One sitting, one sitting with psilocybin, which is basically mushrooms, they call them magic mushrooms, and a person can be completely cured of their addiction. That's that's how important that research is. But then also into LSD and what is called DMT. It's really interesting. The intro to pull up a pew podcast uh, has the sonification of a DMT molecule in the background. Um, you can barely hear it, but it's in the background. It's pretty cool. So anyways, that's where we have individual guests for things of that nature. I've got Yanir Baryam on. He's the head of the biggest think tank in the U.S. when it comes to situations of complexity theory. So he even works with the Pentagon. So before they send any troops in for any type of, uh, you know, these are special forces on any type of missions, he runs the numbers. He crunches everything and tells them exactly what to do and what not to do based off of complexity theory, right? So odds and statistics and things of that nature, but to a much higher level. So he's another example of somebody incredible that I was able to interview. We have Tome Time, T-O-M-E, T-I-M-E, which is going to be an audiobook podcast. And again, all of these things are, again, kind of falling in line with that immersive podcasting the audiobooks that way because you're going to be read by the author and then you'll be able to pick them up and purchase them at a much cheaper cost than on any other platform. Guaranteed. So that's very cool. That's just getting started now. Um, there's just a couple of introductory episodes there, but I definitely urge you to uh, subscribe to Pull Up a Pew and to Tome Time. We're going to also have a sports podcast, and I'm not going to tell you with who, but with two Hall of Famers here uh, eventually. It won't take too long. We have some backing for our network here that we're putting together uh, these different podcasts, which of course, with Owl being the flagship, which everything will kind of revolve around, again, because of the need on a national level that we, we need this. It's a free app. Uh, nothing gets made from it. Nick doesn't make a penny. He he took all the money out of his own pocket to create that application. And we should all appreciate that and that it is available and it's in use right now. You can download it and you can use it right now. So I encourage everybody to do that. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Leave that five-star review. Uh, as I explain every time to people, it's algorithms and that's how we are found. And if people can find the podcast, if it gets enough of the you know four and five star reviews on there, I don't care what you guys put, just put something 
And then if you want to write a real review, just write one. Tell us what we're doing right. Tell us what we're doing wrong. That's fine. We encourage that. But we need those five stars so that the algorithms can start to pick us up and then they can start suggesting us. People will see it and then they'll put two and two together with the phone app, you see? And then by word of mouth alone, we'll be able to increase those numbers and eventually it'll be like a big bell curve. And then we'll have, you know, hundreds of thousands of people with that app which means that in each major city, in each major area, there's going to be people there that are able to look for your missing loved one. That's how it works. So please make sure this, it only takes, I mean, five seconds just to go and hit those five stars for us. I really appreciate it. Uh, It did bump up there to, I think we got 20. Um, We only have a couple of episodes out. So that's, that's great. Let's double that though, please. And again, pass on the podcast. Word of mouth right now is how we do everything. A um, couple of mentions here and there on Facebook, but as we all know, that's you know here nor there. Um, we need you as the listeners, you as people that have you know thousands of friends or other people on Facebook to pass on the podcast. Explain to them what it's about. That this isn't just another you know entertainment podcast for true crime. Uh, explain what we do, how we do it. Um, But that in between the missing persons cases that are going to be in real time, those are going to be incredible um, when they come in and your involvement in helping to find that person. Imagine what that's going to feel like, everybody, for us to find somebody or to find that child on that first crucial hour and be handing them back to their parents. And that's a group effort. So we would all be responsible for that. It's just got to gotta be an incredible feeling. So that's what we're shooting for. Um, but again, we need to have those, uh, those five-star reviews in order right now because everything is word of mouth and being found on Apple, iOS devices, and Android. There is, a, there is a star reviews there as well and on any other platform that you guys listen to this podcast or any of your other podcasts. And also download Tome Time while you're there. We're called A Sonder Productions, S-O-N-D-E-R, A Sonder Productions. Obviously, it's tiny, it's small, but that's where these podcasts are going to start to be listed as they come on board. And trust me, it's going to build very quickly here after uh, a little bit of time. Um, just gonna have to trust me on that. It's, it's going to get very big, but tone times on there, pull up a pews on there. We're on there. You may see the, uh, sports icon. Um, but just ignore that one. That's going to be completely redone. Like I said, with the one that we have the two hall of famers to host a show that we have planned on doing here shortly. So, all right, guys, that's, that's about it. Um, I'll let you go. I just wanted to update you on why it had been so long since you heard any information, kind of the things to focus on in this case to think about. Uh, if anybody has information to please email me at info at pull up. I'm sorry, <laughs> pull up a few. I'm sorry. Info at once was lost podcast at gmail.com. Okay. Uh, let us know if there's any information. Everything is uh, treated with complete privacy. You can give your name, not give your name. It doesn't matter. 
Uh, but if you have any information concerning this case that we haven't touched on or that you know about, because there are a lot of other people that we don't talk about, we don't bring up. It's just not necessary. We only wanted to focus on the people that are directly in the detective reports so that we're, again, only dealing with the objective information on the case so nobody can say anything otherwise, even though they've tried to do so. <laughs> again, in a very bizarre, uh, extremely immature I just like I said, it was laughable, but uh, you know, it comes with the territory when you're going to do stuff like this. But again, on a closed case, that's just one more we can add to the pile of information of why. What's the point? Why, if there's no if there's no issues, nothing's happened. This was a complete and utter horrible accident, and I hope that's what it is, then there'd be no reason to send an email like that from who I know that it came from. So, and I had to report it obviously. So, you know, I did that if anybody's wondering, cause I'm sure I'll get emails that you got to report that, you know, but I did, you know, so, but I'm not worried about it. So anyways, you guys all have a great day. Look for the next episode on the missing person that we're going to be work, working with the family. It's also super, super important. Uh, any updates with uh, Jeffrey's case, of course, we'll bring those to you. And then we're also going to start on some cold cases, uh, hopefully with Project Cold Case. I'm hoping to get back in touch with them, uh, let them know that we're back, ready to go full force and get some recent cases they're the largest repository of cold cases in the nation. Even law enforcement uses these guys, okay? And they're a private organization. Um, but I'm positive that they have cases right now that are cold, but have a really good chance of getting solved, right? They just maybe got overlooked or there's so many cases going on in a specific area that detectives had to move on to the next case. It just is what it is. But we might be able to easily solve the case by just getting the information out, getting to people in that local area um, that know what happened or have firsthand knowledge or clues, tips, so on and so forth, right? And that's how we get it done. And so those are the kind of cases that we'll stick with are the ones that have a chance, a shot at getting solved. Um, and we will let, of course, Project Cold Case, or whoever we're working with, make that determination, not us. That's not our specialty. That's not what we do. We're just here to bring you the information, the story, the facts, the background, and to find those missing persons ASAP and in real time. So this is Drew for Owl Once Was Lost podcast. We'll talk with you guys soon.